0: got stuff you need to work on this year, this January? Let me ask you again, do you have stuff you need to work on? So do I. Our series is called I Wish I Could blank and we haven't filled in that blank because there's probably a lot of things that you and I could put in that blank. I asked the question last week, what's in your blank? But I wanna ask you this to think about this as we get ready for this message today. This whole series is gonna be a partnership so if you're accustomed to going to church and kind of patching into the preacher and just kind of letting him uh, give you everything you need to know, that, it's not going to work in this series for sure, because I'm going to supply the principles. For me, I'm a big principle person. Principles are God's, uh, God's powers that he has spun into the universe that work in any situation. So I'm going to supply the principles, but you're going to need to bring the questions as, in, as if to say, how does this work in my life and what do I need in my life? And also, you're going to have to supply the application. So it's going to be a workshop, both of us working together. But last week, if you were in the service, you know that I shared with you three verses that kind of communicate the journey that we're going to be on. And I've encouraged you to memorize those verses, but let's go over them right now. The first one is where change begins for the Christ follower. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when the Bible says all things, it means all things that are available to us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But here's the thing we're going to discover as we begin this process or processes of change in our lives, we're going to realize that oftentimes the destination is a long way away. And we're just dealing with the actions that we need to perform today. Well, here is a great verse. Because along the way, as you're going forward and as you begin to experience the headwinds of change, it's going to be important for you to remember Proverbs 16, 3, which says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. In other words, I can't control the success of the plan. All I can control are the actions that I perform today. But the Bible says, commit those to the Lord. This is not, I mean, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are kind of on your own here. But if you know Christ, if you're God's daughter, if you're God's son, then you're not in this by yourself. And so whatever actions you need to do today that will take you toward the goal that God has for you, then you want to commit those actions to the Lord and leave the success of the plan to God. Because the Bible promises, if you will commit your actions to the Lord, he will make your plan succeed. And then... I think this is the last bracket of these three verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Last week, I tried to share with you how I see the distinction between fear and timidity. Fear is, I'm not gonna start. I've just had too many things go wrong. I've tried this before and I failed. So I don't even wanna think about it anymore. Whatever it needs to go in that blank, I wish I could this or that. I'm not even going to try. That's fear. Timidity is I'm going to try, but I'm not going to try very much. I'm just going to dip my toes in the water. And as long as it's comfortable, as long as it doesn't ask too much, then I might try to make some change. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says if we have the spirit of fear, which says I'm not even going to try. We didn't get that spirit from God. We got that from the father of lies. Satan will always try to lie to you and tell you that you can't do what God says you can do. So if you got the spirit of fear, you didn't get that from God. If you have the spirit of timidity that says, well, I might try, but I'm not going to try very hard. You didn't get that from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us? He's given us the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Who am I talking to today? And you say, Mark, I don't have any self-discipline. Are you God's child? God says it's there. God says it's deep inside of you. And so we need to think about those three verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plan will succeed. And God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And last week, and I'm not gonna spend much time on review because I got a lot to talk to you about today. Last week, we said that most people fail. You know, New Year's resolution's in January, failed by March. Most people fail because of two reasons. Number one, they see... A time of change like January as a season of discipline that follows a season of excess. And we said the whole problem is what we think might, what people might think would cause success is the very thing that causes us to fail. We see change as a season. Hey, change can never be a season, not real change. Change has to be a way of life. And that takes us to the second reason why people fail and the big one. And that is that most people see uh, what needs to be fixed in their life in an, on an a la carte basis. I, I need change over here. I need change over here. I need change over here. So I've got to have an independent plan or an app for all those changes. They don't understand the reason they're failing is interrelated. And we said last week, this is true for businesses. It's true for for teams. It's definitely true for individuals. We have to We have to have a culture. We have to have internal settings that deal with everything. You show me any successful business, I'll show you a successful culture. They don't tackle the problem here and here on an independent basis by what they feel and by what the political pressures are of that situation. So today, you and I are gonna start talking about how to build that culture of change in our own lives or at least how to enhance it because we want to be change agents. It's not that we wanna change just this situation. We wanna be agents of change that work in any scenario that needs attention in our lives. Now, today, I wanna to give you the first key. I'm gonna give you the first principle. And right out of the box, um, please don't be disappointed because it's so simple. By the way, I've discovered that the things that work best in my life are the simple things. See, a lot of us have been to the university, and those things have been obfuscated by complexity, unnecessary complexity. A lot of times, complexity is a tool to keep us from dealing with what really needs to change. And we can say, oh, well, I just don't know what to do. I just, I, I, there's so many ideas and thoughts out there. Hey, we're gonna get really simple in this series, but we're gonna deal with stuff that's from the word of God that's tried and true, and it works. So here's the deal. <laughs> it's where we're gonna start, I promise you, it's gonna be so simple that some of you are gonna say, I can't believe I drove as far as I drove on a frosty Kansas morning to come here, Mark say something so simple. But trust me, hey, I'm still working on this one because it's so important. You ready? Okay, here it is. I have to clearly identify and clearly know the difference between what I can't change and what I can. I mean, get really specific about that. Now, right out of the box, you understand that that being true, I can make two possible mistakes here. And the first one is, I make the mistake of believing that I can change what I can't. And I don't know if any of you are there, but this is just kind of Mark's issue. Like I said, I got a lot of stuff I'm gonna work on and I kind of, this is kind of freaky, but I'm on stage talking, but I'm like sitting here in the front row listening to the message because I assure you nobody needs this, especially this first part, more than Mark. Believing I can change what I can't. Now, what are the results of believing you can change something that you can't? I'm gonna find out how many soul brothers and soul sisters I have here today because this is my issue. The first thing that happens when you believe that you can change something that you can't is anxiety. Anxiety. Let me ask all of you who deal with anxiety. I have an anxiety disorder, so I've been diagnosed by experts. Do you have anxiety over what you can change or what you can't change? We all know. You have anxiety over what you can't change. Hey, if you have anxiety over something you can change, you don't have anxiety. You're just lazy. That's a fact and you can get up and do something about it. That's not anxiety, that's just laziness. No, no, our anxiety comes over stuff that we can't affect, and we worry about it. Well, another problem that comes from believing you can change something you can't is misdirected or even wasted energies. I wanna talk to young adults, especially right now, but I guess it's probably true for for all of us here, but especially young adults, and, and more than anybody, young parents. Please listen to me. You only have so much Time. We live in a world today where there's so many pulls on us that a lot of us don't have any margin left, and a lot of that is we're being chased by ghosts that don't exist. We're feeling pressures from the culture. We're feeling we have the pressure to be a good parent. You have the pressure to be a good employee, and and, and from time to time, we can actually feel pressures that aren't there. And I know about this. I've had the privilege of being your pastor for almost 37 years, and I got to tell you what the dream pastor at his new spring church. You guys have never put pressure on me to perform any up to any expectations. You did not make my family live in a glass house and I will love you forever. So many times people will say to me, Mark, we love you because you're authentic and real and you're pretty transparent. And I got to tell you this, that's not to my credit, that's to your That's to your credit. You have allowed me to be a real human being. You have not You've not forced me to live up on a pedestal. So I gotta tell you, this church has never put pressure on me, but, the, but I feel myself under constant pressure because I supply the pressure. In fact, I know our board is always like, Mark, don't put so much pressure on yourself. And, and that's what happens with a lot of us. We put a great deal of pressure on ourselves to fulfill expectations that nobody really has for us. You only have so much time. You only have so much energy, and this is such an important concept in 2022, you only have so much emotional and mental bandwidth. And so it's really important for us to not invest those things, time, energy, and emotional bandwidth into things that lead nowhere. But when I believe I can change what I can't change, Oftentimes, I misinvest. Alexander Graham Bell said, whenever a door closes, another door opens. But he said, sometimes we can get so in love with the door that's closed that we don't pay attention to the door that's open. And now what I'm about to say is gonna free some of you, or at least it has the potential to free some of you um, who know all too well what I'm gonna, gonna talk about. When I believe I can change something I can't change, I become a candidate for toxic guilt toxic guilt. See, a lot of us today are messed up. We can't pay attention to the things that need to change in our lives because we're feeling toxic guilt because we feel responsible to change things that we have no power to change. The story I'm going to share with you in the next few moments, I'm really awkward in sharing. My wife knows about it. A few people that are very close to me know about it. And the people who were in last night services and this morning service, early morning services know about this. But the I'm I'm going to share something that's personally awkward for me, but the reason why I do is I want to help you. Um, My dad, who was my hero, uh, he was a pastor of the same church in Texas for 50 years. He came here and was our care pastor for 13 years. And he was a wonderful, godly man. Unfortunately, dementia came at the end of his life. My parents set things up so that I would make all financial and major decisions for them when they got to the age where they didn't feel like they could do it anymore. So that means the care, the decision-making care for my dad in his last months of life fell upon me. Now, I don't know if any of you have dealt with elderly parents who were memory care patients. And some of you are in the healthcare industry and you know all too well what I'm talking about. But my dad got to a place where the decisions weren't between good and bad, they were between bad and worse. There were no good decisions. And it fell upon me to, as I said, make all those decisions for him. Of course, He had gotten to the place where it wasn't just a matter of memory. He got to the place where dementia began to eventually affect his physical functions, even things like walking, because all of a sudden he could just fall. And it got to the place where he had to be somewhere that he did not want to be. It was a great facility, but it was just not where he wanted to be. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I felt like I was failing my dad because he couldn't be happy. And then he passed in July of 13, and I would rack my brain. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would say, surely I could have done something different. I could have done something different, and it would just eat me up. And my mother would try to tell me, Mark, you did everything you possibly could. I'm so thankful for all you did, but I would still flagellate myself. I still beat myself up because I'm thinking, surely I could have come up with some other answer. Didn't know what that answer was. My sister would say, Mark, please don't do that to yourself. You've done everything you could possibly do for dad. And the person who knew most about it was Mary Allison. Mary also would say, Mark, please don't do this to yourself. For six months, I got up in the middle of every night and I would go over every decision that I made. And I would think, no, that wasn't a good decision, but I didn't have any choice. And after six months, I woke up one morning and I thought I did not have any other options. But I still had the toxic guilt. And maybe it was just part of grief. I don't know. But it took me a long time to get over that. And all I'm saying to some of you today is the reason why you're paralyzed in in, in the spot where you are, just, just give yourself the space of understanding that if you hold yourself accountable for things that you have no chain, no power to change, and obviously as Christ followers, we can always pray and prayer is a powerful tool, but prayer is a great place to just leave things with God that you can't change. And don't put the pressure on yourself to do it. The second mistake, and you know already where I'm going with this, it's believing that I can't change what I can. I don't know why I'm doing this at New Spring, because you guys are not traditional Christians. But I know a lot of people watch us online. And you can be in a traditional church. That's how I grew up. I grew up in traditional Christianity. And I'll tell you what, traditional Christians are really good at making up doctrine. And it goes something like this. I'm going to take my dysfunctions, and I'm going to put them in a mixing bowl, and I'm going to mix in a little scripture, and I'm going to stir it up, and I'm going to turn my dysfunctions into spiritual. So it could be that someone is listening to this talk right now, and you say, Mark, I just heard you say that it's a mistake to believe that you can't change something that you can. And you know what? As a Christian, there's nothing that you can do. Well, I know what John 15:5 says. It says, without Christ, I can do nothing. But I also know Philippians 4:13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But there would be Christians, there could be somebody walking today, and you say, Mark, what you're talking about is self-help. What you're talking about today is psychology. What you're talking about today is positive thinking. Well, let me ask you a question. Is there anything spiritual about negative thinking? No, but for traditional Christians, a lot of times, they think there is. And, you know, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing spiritual about ignoring psychology when it's true. And there's nothing spiritual about... uh, about even helping ourselves when God gives us the ability to do it. See, a lot of traditional Christians are just flat out lazy. But you guys don't know about that, you're, you're at New Spring, so I don't even know why I bring that up today. But here is the truth, God has created us with great abilities, you were made in the image of God and as a response to that, or as, as a result of that, you have great abilities that God has invested in you and we're responsible to use them. Think about Adam and Eve for a moment. They didn't make the garden, but they were charged by God to manage the garden. You did not make yourself, but God has assigned you, he's assigned me to be stewards of what he made us to be. And so the idea that a lot of Christians have, that just sit on our backside and wait for God to sprinkle pixie dust on us and make all the changes that need to be made in our lives, that's a fraud. And there's nowhere anything like that in the word of God. We are to get up and do what God has given us the ability to do. So what happens if I, mistake, if I make mistake number two, and I believe that I can't change what I can, well, they're obvious. Lost opportunity. You know, there's, my dad, when he, when he was preaching and I was a kid, he used to tell the same story all the time about how that people d- made a mistake when they didn't pray. And he told the story, apocryphal though it was, about a guy who died and went to heaven And he was being shown around by Peter or angel or whatever. And he came to this room where there's all kinds of stuff that he wanted on the earth, but he didn't get. And when he asked Peter what all the stuff was, the answer came back, these are things that you could have had if you'd prayed and asked for them. But that's not what I think about here. I wonder what it would be like to get to heaven and go to a video room and look at this dynamic life of extraordinary abilities and achievements and asking God, what is this? And God saying, it's what you could have done. It's what you could have been. So today we understand that if, if we believe that we can't change what we can, we have lost opportunity. We have wasted time and the lousy feeling of being bluffed out of destiny and the pain of things not being right. So in this brief talk today, we don't want to make either one of those mistakes. We don't believe, we want to believe that we can change what we can't. We don't wanna believe that we can't change what we can. So it's very important to identify those things. I'm gonna ask you to do something today if you wish. When you leave, all guest services people are gonna have this document. These are the two assignments I gave you last week. And then on the back side, there's a list. What I can change, what I can't. You say, Mark, I don't need to do that. That's kind of elementary school. I know in my head. Maybe not. I think a lot of times we just don't go through the mental exercise of being honest about things that we can't change and things that we can. So I just encourage you to grab one of these on your way out of here. I'm challenging myself to do the same thing. Mark is so important because our responses to what we can't change and what we can are very different. There's a verse. <laughs> sort of depends on what part of the verse I read. I started to say there's a verse that gives me great comfort but it also gives me a great challenge. I hope you fall in love with it like I have. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. So in other words, there's stuff that I don't understand. There's stuff that's that's secret to God. I'm not accountable for that. But I am accountable for all the things that God has revealed to me give the personal note. I hope I'm a kind boss. I think I am. I think the record would show that. I I have over 100 people on my staff. I don't know how you evaluate or think about my job. Most of you know me as a communicator, but for the other five days of the week, I lead a large organization. I joke when I'm doing talks for leaders, I joke that I'm a head coach for five and a half days and I'm starting quarterback for a day and a half. That's kind of my job. But even though I would think that I'm a kind boss, I, I am freakish for quality and I'm freakish for excellence. Too much personal information. I remember when I was very young, in my early 20s, mid 20s perhaps, I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where it's my home area, and I went to a conference for leaders. And this particular session was being led by one of the most prominent psychiatrists in Dallas. And when he began the time that we had together, he passed out legal-sized mimeograph sheets of paper that had designs on it, just just sort of mimeographed designs. And he said, hey, when you get these, he said, just sort of doodle on them for a few minutes. And then he said, they're like psychological keys that correspond to these designs. And he said, we'll walk through these together and we'll have a little fun with it. I don't remember what all the designs were, but one of them was a grid. There were more than nine squares. I don't remember how many squares there were, but it was a grid. And when he got to this grid, he said, okay, let's talk about what you doodled on this. He said, this grid is about competition. And he said, if you drew anything other than X's and O's, your mind just didn't pick it up. So just disregard it. But he said, if you drew X's and O's on it, then you synced up with this and you understood this is about competition. He said, if you drew X's and O's on a random pattern with no winning game, you do not like competition. You will avoid competition." He said, if you drew X's or O's as a winning game, either horizontally, vertically, or diagonally, you love competition. And never forget, he said, I've only seen this a couple, maybe three times in my career, but he said, in case anybody filled up the entire graph with all X's or all O's, you will do anything to win. And I looked down at my page, and it was a field of X's. That's a fact. And that's what I'm like. I'm just, I'm just the most intense person. In the world. I've tried very hard to mitigate that through the years as a leader. But when I became leader of our church almost, well, a long time ago, it was a smaller church and very traditional. And there was so much that needed to be changed. And I didn't have the team around me to help me with that at that time. I had some good people, but it was a very, very small team. I think the first Christmas staff luncheon I had was in a booth at Amarillo Grill. There were four of us. And one of them was Mary Alice. So in those days, we just didn't have the team. We didn't have the opportunity. I knew I would lose my mind if I did not deal with that. And on top of that, I'd wear everybody else out around me. So all these years, if something was within our, if, if, if there was something I could do about the change that needed to be made, I would give all my attention to it. If, on the other hand, there was nothing I do, could do, I had to let it go. I might make some notes over what I would, about what I would do if I had the opportunity. Now prepare myself for it. But I had to put it out of my mind if there was nothing I could do about it. Now, once we crossed the threshold to where there was something we could do about it, I went from zero to 60. And after all these years, I'm still that way. If there's nothing I can do about it, I can't worry about it today. Again, you only have so much emotional, mental bandwidth. So with that in mind, I want us to roll up our sleeves and go to work. And again, I'm not gonna talk about the specifics of what you can or can't change. You're gonna do that. I want to give you quickly some categories of things that we can't change. And then I'll give you some categories quickly of things that we can change. So here's what you can't change. Number one, you can't know the future. That will never change. You can be the most brilliant person here, but you cannot know the future. What are there, three games today? We don't know who's going to win. And more than that, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring for you. I can't change that. I don't know the future. But here's what I do know. I know what Jesus said about it. In Matthew 6, 34, he said, don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for today is today's trouble. Jesus said, Mark, you can't change tomorrow. Don't. It's one of those things you can't change. There's no sense worrying about it. And it's also where one of our verses comes in. Proverbs 16:3. commit today's actions to the Lord and the plan will succeed. He will make your plan succeed. That's the future. Number two, you can't change the past. In all my years of pastoring, which now, I can't believe that I'm saying this, 45. In all my years of pastoring, I have met so many people who were paralyzed and not making changes they need to make today because of something that they did or something someone did to them in the past. And when you might ask why they weren't making strategic moves that would advance their lives, they would say, well, something went wrong in the past or I did this in the past. You cannot change. Listen to me, please. You can't change the past. None of us can. You say, Mark, I just, I've made such a mess of my life. How many of us are paralyzed today from going forward because we feel like we made a mess? We missed an opportunity. There was stuff we could have changed in the past and didn't change. And now we feel like, okay, I missed the bus. Listen to the word of God. The faithful love of our Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness his mercies begin afresh each morning. There's a reason why I use that verse. Because we Christians have a way of translating things on the fly. And here's the thing. There's, there's another word that we sort of supply for Lamentations 3.23. And we tend to supply in our mind the word grace. His grace is new every morning. Is that true? Sure is. But that's not what the Bible says there. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. You know the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And isn't that wonderful that the Bible chose the word mercies there? Why is it important that his mercies are new today? Because I screwed yesterday up. I made mistakes yesterday. I got stuff wrong. I made mistakes five years ago. I sinned against God five years ago. But you know what? God never wants that to hamper you from starting today because he said his mercies are new today. He's got brand new mercies for you today even though you failed yesterday. Mm. Do you know that his mercies erase your past failures? thing I love best about God is he's, he's the only one who will let you start completely over today. Even the people who love you the most will remember how you failed yesterday. But God says he will put your sins as far away from him as the east is from the west. Someone will say to Mark, are you sure? Say to me, Mark, are you sure? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful. He will keep his promise. He will do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. But I know how some of us think, because see, here's the deal. We know stuff about ourselves that nobody else knows. We know thoughts that we thought. We know things that we did that we would be ashamed to tell even those people that are most forgiving in our lives. And somebody would say, Mark, you don't know what I did. What I did was so bad, God cannot forgive. 20 years ago, I had an abortion. Five years ago, you know, someone might say, I cheated on my spouse. Someone could say, Mark, I I blasphemed God and said horrible things that came out of my mouth. And surely God cannot forgive that. I want you to listen to the word of God. This is a really important text. The Bible says if we say we have fellowship, in other words, fellowship there means something in common. If we say we have something in common with God, yet at the same time we live in darkness. Darkness there means lies. In other words, if we're not honest about what we've done. You at the same time live in darkness, we are lying both in our words and our actions. But if we live in the light, in other words, if we live in truth, if we're, if we're living in honesty, if we're living in self-honesty with God, if we live in the light just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And look at this, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from, what's the next word, new spring? Every sin, even mine, even yours. You can't change the past. If you've done something wrong in the past, put it under the blood of Jesus and get started today. And now I go to a very sensitive place and I know it's sensitive and I'm concerned about it before I go there, but I want to help. Someone can say, Mark, it's not what I did wrong. I've done wrong. I'm a sinner. But what has paralyzed me is what someone did to me. A long time ago, somebody did something to me and it's become a reason for me not going forward. I am sensitive to that. I would never say anything that made light of whatever it is that is back there in your past, but I do know this. I know that the pain of yesterday, of what someone has done to us, if I have too much focus on that, I can lose opportunities. And by the way, who among us wants to live in the shards of broken glass? The Word of God says in the book of Philippians, chapter three, verse 13, this one thing I do is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead so I run straight toward the goal. I can't run toward the goal if I'm looking at how I've been hurt or what someone has taken from me in the past. I do not want to give that person that much power because if I can't go forward today because of what someone has done to me in the past, not only have they hurt me in the past, I have given them inordinate power to keep me from living out what God has for me you can't change the past, but you don't have to change the past. Put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the third thing. Not only can we not change the future or know the future, we can't change the past. We can't change somebody else. You know, a lot of us today are dealing with great stress because we love somebody and we really do believe deep down inside somehow we can change that person. I oh, want Please hear me. You cannot change your husband. You cannot change your wife. You cannot change your kids. Grown parents with grown kids, you cannot live their lives for them. You're not accountable to live somebody else's life. We can do what we can do to be a good Christian, a good parent, a good friend. But at the end of the day, you cannot affect somebody else's will. Listen, not even God will change someone's will. You cannot change someone else. Okay, let's flip this. We need to end this message because I'm already five minutes into overtime. What are the categories of things that we can change? Okay, Get honest today, go home, talk about what you need to change, what's in your blank. There are three things that you can do. And this first one, I know it may come out of nowhere, but, but hear me out. We can study. Here's what I've discovered. Any change that needs to happen in my life that's serious and that's life altering, it takes, it takes truth to make that change. Like, like for instance, I, 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 I need to work on nutrition. Well, I know that there are sources that are trustworthy, that I can trust on nutrition, and I have to study. Here's one of the things I've had to to, to learn. If I need to make a change that requires self-discipline, I need to continue that study. I need to keep it going. I need to keep it before me all the time. That's one of the reasons why it's important to be in church every weekend, because even though you may have heard whatever the subject is that's being talked about, you may have heard it before, but you need that continual messaging to help you on the trip. So I can study today. I can... I can learn everything I can learn about how I need to change. Number two, I can prepare myself to be disciplined. You know, I don't have to prepare myself to be lazy. (laughs) I can do that without a lot of help. But if I'm going to be disciplined, I have to coach myself up. I have to prepare myself to say, what what needs to be done today is going to require discipline. And remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. So if I'm God's child, then I have to understand that God has invested in me a spirit of self-discipline. It's there, but I'm gonna have to summon it. I'm going to have to say, by the grace of God, I'm gonna coach myself up that what I need to do is gonna require discipline, and I'm up for the challenge by the grace of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then I can start. I can start. I can't arrive. But I can start. Whatever is in your blank today, start today. You say, Mark, I'll start tomorrow. Already screwed today up. (laughs) Listen to me Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. Satan will be fine with any change you need to make in your life tomorrow. Tomorrow. I mean, when we put things off, we're kind of thinking, oh, there's a better opportunity tomorrow. No, there's no better opportunity than today. I'll tell you why we put stuff off to tomorrow and everybody who's gone on a diet or got trying to get your nutrition in shape, you, you know about this because you say to yourself, well, I'm gonna start tomorrow, but tonight's my last night. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna, I, I, I'm not even gonna worry about what I eat tonight because after all, I'm gonna start tomorrow. Now, a lot of us have been real good at that night before. We ace that. I mean, we're we're great at that. But then it's like the next day comes, oh, you know what, I think I'll start tomorrow. I'm going to have one more night of one more night. Why is it we say to ourselves, I'm going to start tomorrow? Because we say to ourselves, I'm still going to change. But starting tomorrow takes the pressure off. But the pressure is what we need. We we need that pressure, that pressure, you know, that kind of impetus that causes us to want to do great things. It leaks if I start tomorrow. The passion has leaked out. It's kind of like an airplane losing altitude on takeoff. So I would encourage you, start today. Whatever needs to happen, and I'm preaching to myself too, start today, no excuses. And you say, well, Mark, I can't really start today because it would be just such a tiny beginning. All I could invest in it is six hours be just a tiny beginning. There's a verse I love. Zechariah 4, verse 10, do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Is there something in your blank that is God's will for your life? Then start today. It may be a small beginning, but the Bible says God is into small beginnings. He just loves to see us get started. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next weekend.